Man, she got a rock star voice. Okay, so uh, we do have a few people, I think, standing in the back. So if you happen to have a seat near you or you could like... I know we all like to be on the end of the rows. That's like prime real estate. But if you could just kind of scooch in just a little bit and then um, our wonderful ushers will help people to get seated. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, I really love that last song that we just sang uh, because Marianne was singing about a desperate person. How do I change this situation? And there was a line in there that I just love so much at the beginning of the song. Then through the darkness... Your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness, what? God's loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. So that's really actually what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about like, how do we really get out of those dark shadows in our soul? There is so much like noise out there about what works. Jesus, we're in a series on Sermon on the Mount. We just started a few weeks ago. And he just gets into all this practical stuff that we deal with every day, like anxiety and worry, right? He tackles that. Anxiety's off the charts. Loneliness. You're in the loneliest city in the United States of America. Maybe you're just visiting here today and you're from somewhere out in the Midwest or something like that. Welcome to Lonely Central, okay? This is, we're the loneliest city in the United States of America. That's, that's who we are. And Jesus tackles that. And today, we'll just touch on it just a little bit. We'll get into it more a little bit next week. But he's talking about having, um, having an affair. It's really tough stuff. Uh, and not being able to control these sexual impulses. And, you know, studies seem to indicate that D.C. is like leading the nation on kind of harnessing that in. Yeah, I'm serious. So I just, I just feel like what really helps? I hear all this stuff. Well, do this, do this, do this, do this, to crush this and crush that, all those things in our life. I just want to know what really works. So today what we're going to try to do, we're going to, we're going to touch on the one big relevant thing that he touches on that is so practical, like sexual impulses, right? But, but I want you to keep in mind, this works across the board, addictions. Addictions, according to the experts, are off the charts. We have created an addicted society. Okay, so all of these practical things Jesus addresses, but then he cuts through all the noise and he says, all right, here's what really is going to work. Because you can hear all kinds of stuff, both inside the church and outside the church. Jesus is cutting through all that noise. And that's why I'm just so, I've been reading this sermon, you know, for years. But it's just recently as I've been digging down into it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is what will actually help me to live the life I want to live. And then God created me to live. And that's, that's when, man, it really caught my attention. So today, we're going to talk about re- rewiring our brains. Yes. Because the Bible brings up this topic over and over and over again. Like, this is the path to a brand new life. You got to rewire your brains. So Paul says it famously, Romans chapter 12, he says, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. He says in Philippians chapter two, actually it was probably a song they sang in the early church. He says, you got to have the mind of Jesus Christ. So these are, these are all things about rewiring our brain. So everybody, um, if you're new and you didn't catch the beginning of, of this series, the Sermon on the Mount is famous. It's the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. And it's famous a bunch, amongst a bunch of famous people. Anybody heard of Bob Marley? Huh? Mr. Reggae himself, his first recorded song that he released was about the Sermon on the Mount. How about, uh, how about Bono? He's got a whole song about Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount every single day of his life. It's amazing. Now, here's the thing. It's what I want us to focus on. Pastor Brian spoke about it two weeks ago. Here is where everything hinges on 517. Matthew 517 is the hinge point. 
you have an introduction, then you hit 517, and then the entire rest of the sermon for the next like two and a half chapters is all about explaining how this verse applies to the rest of it. So let's just read it. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's the words of Jesus, and he's talking about the law. Now, here's the problem with the law. Like, when I think of law, everybody, I'm thinking of rules. And when I'm thinking of rules, that doesn't really help me to transform my life. When I'm thinking of law, I'm thinking of judgment. I don't know that that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Like, when I think of law, I'm thinking of a speeding ticket. Okay, so how does that actually help me to change my life? Well, here's the thing. Here's, here's critical. I didn't know this for years. Maybe you already knew this, but the word that Jesus is referring to is a Hebrew word called Torah. That's what the law is. It's Torah. And Torah, everybody, is a directional word. So I'm going to have my man right here, Ben Darius, help me out a little bit. So, so when you like shoot an arrow in a certain direction, this is the word they would use. You shoot it in a certain Torah. Or when you throw a ball or like this, snowball, right? You, you, you throw it in a certain Torah, okay? So I decide to throw it that way. If I want to throw it that way, that's, a, that's the Torah of the way I'm throwing it. Or this way. That's a Torah. Oh, I see your hand. Here you go. There you go. Very good. Okay. So I'm, I'm a certain Torah. Today I ta- called the, the title of the message, Is the Bible a Crucial Compass or Is It a Misleading Map? And here's the reason why. Torah is a direction. Let's say the Torah is saying to go in that direction. It's like a compass. Like I'm going to be pulled off because of a powerful thing inside of me called fear. It is the most powerful emotion that all of us have. This is why the most repeated phrase in the Bible is fear not. Because the Bible is trying to drive fear out of us. Okay? And it's saying, you need to keep be pulling over this way. That's Torah over there. That's love. We're going to go that way. Okay? And the opposite is running that way to fear. Okay? We don't want to go that way. So Torah is saying, well, uh... okay. <laughs> Torah saying, okay, there you go. All right. All right. All right. Let's just say Torah. Let's just say Torah is this way then. Okay? <laughs> let's change the whole thing. Okay. It's good. Okay. But here's what, here's what we need to know. Like a compass. The Torah functions like a compass that keeps pulling us back, pulling us back into the direction we're supposed to go. And that compass is rooted in love, not in fear. Okay? Torah. One more. Boom. There you go. I'm done. No, no. It's good. Thank you very much. Very helpful. Okay. So we, we, we got to get that, you know, just kind of really wrapped in our minds. So here's the thing. This is where the Sermon on the Mount and this is where the Bible, the Bible here, everybody, is so helpful because there's so many paths to life. But the Bible and Jesus is emphasizing that all those paths really just boil all the way down to just two. Just two. Just two, John? Just two. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, hey, there's a, there's a wide way and there's a narrow way. There's a wise way to build your house and there's a foolish way to build your house. Deuteronomy over and over and over and over again, it says it repeatedly. There's a path of blessing. There's a path of cursing. There's not 20 paths, 10 paths. They all boil down to just two. We got a visual that we want to show you on this. There's just two paths. They look a lot alike, but there's just two. There's the path of life and there's the path of death. Everything boils down to that. And as long as we stay on that path of life, well, then we are setting ourselves up to to have our minds like transformed and renewed so that we can live the life we want to live, right? And we can live the life that God wants us to live. This is what today is really all about. So it's awesome that Jesus simplifies this all the way down. All right. Uh, the title of the message. The Bible. Is it a crucial compass or a misleading map? And here's the answer. And it might sound a little strange. 
But it is both a crucial compass and it can be a misleading map because Jesus tells the Pharisees who knew the Bible like nobody's business. Like these guys, let's just get serious. Like we use that word Pharisee in church circles. Like if you've never heard the word Pharisee before. All right, Pharisee is used in a very disparaging way. Don't be a Pharisee. I mean, those guys, but here's the reality. Those dudes know the Bible better than you and I will ever know the Bible. Like if you went to some contest, it's like, okay, just tell me what Leviticus 10, 15 says. You'd get your Bible, you'd open up. They wouldn't get a Bible and open up. They would say, here's what it says. Matter of fact, I'll just give you the entire chapter because they'd memorize the whole thing. So they're Bible superheroes. And yet Jesus says, you're taking people down the wrong path. You are, you're, you're being a misleading map with the Bible to people. So how is it possible? It has a lot to do with how you understand the path of life and the path of death. And that is the soil that we put ourselves in in order for our brains to be rewired, our lives to be transformed. That's where we're going today. Now, we hear a lot about this word repentance, right? Is, 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 has anybody heard the word repentance before in church? Is, well, let me put it this way. Anybody heard the word kind of like, in a, like mm, you know, put you, you Brent, you know, you ever, you ever heard that like in a real negative way? Has anybody ever heard that? Like you should feel, okay, a couple of you have been in church. I've, I've been in church. Oh my gosh, man. Lit up in church over the word repentance. Like, like, you know, we talk about somebody's going to heaven and somebody's going to hell. The church I grew up in, everybody's going to hell. All right. So okay, it's just period. Everybody's going to be there. All right. So the word repentance, it feels like a shame word. Like you don't, you probably don't like people say you need to repent. Okay, here's the deal. The word repentance isn't a shame word. It's a brain word. This is just language, okay? It's not opinion. The word repentance in the Bible is not a shame word. It's a brain word. So as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, I need to get into your brain. I need to get into your brain. And that's how you're going to experience the power of the Sermon on the Mount. That's why it's become the most famous sermon in the history of the world. So we have to prepare ourselves right now to get into our brains because this is what it means. Repent. Okay, let's get, let's get our brains ready to go. All right. In order to overcome loneliness, discontentment, anxiety, addictions, you name it, it all comes back to one thing is the starting place. One thing is the starting place, and that is our brain. It all starts in our brain. This is why the 119th Psalm is the longest chapter that we have in the entirety of the Bible. It's like one massively long chapter. What's it all about? Rewiring your brain through the word of God, through the law of God that's sending Torah in a certain direction. All right, that's what it does. Uh, I already said Romans chapter 12, famously, be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind. How about this one? Since we're gonna talk about having an affair today. Psalm 51, King David writes, after his affair with Bathsheba, he says, God created me a clean heart. Heart, what does that mean? Okay, in the ancient Near East, your heart was your brain and your emotions. So he's saying, God, Please rewire my brain so I can deal with my impulses that are out of control and have led me down a really bad road. So we've got to have ourselves set in a, in, in a soil that is going to be conducive to our minds being transformed. So let's just read our scripture for the day. It's Matthew 5, 27 and 30. This is what it says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus, when he is saying this quote, everybody, he's not saying, hey, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you. He's not telling them a different story. He's saying that it goes beyond a physical act and it actually starts in your heart. It starts in your brain. This is what he's saying. So continue on. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. We're going to get into this next week because obviously if you know the, if you know the Bible really well, you're like, oh yeah, I, I understand where he's going with this. Tear it out. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body thrown into hell. Amen. And if your right hand causes you to sin, man, just cut it off, lop it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going into hell. Now, do not raise your hand, anybody. But if you are a man and you love the Bible, I have one question. Why are there so many hands and eyes still in this room? Some time ago, I began to talk about the fact that, and this is just a well-known fact, 3,000 years ago, ancient Near East, where the Bible, where the Bible was written, filled with metaphor. People were like, well, wait a minute, metaphor, metaphor, where does it start and stop? Okay, a lot of discussion about metaphor. I don't want to go down that road right now, but somehow, like people who are like way into the Bible, somehow we figured out, oh, well, that's a metaphor. It doesn't say it's a metaphor, but like, no, I'm not cutting my hand off. Because if we had to start gouging our eyes out, cutting our hands off, I'm just saying, why are so many Bible-believing men still have eyes and hands? Let's move on, because that doesn't feel good. All right, so today I want to talk about how we can cut through the noise, what actually works, and why is God's word, and why is the Sermon on the Mount the proven most powerful way, everybody, that we can actually see change in our life? Then this is what astounds me. Now I want to show you a book. This is one of many books. One of many. There's so many out there. This is a deep dive science book. Okay? Two guys, I think they graduated from Harvard, and the one guy's out at University of Wisconsin now. But everybody, this is not a religious book. It's not a Christian book. Not a religious book. Okay? All right? It's a deep dive science book. These dudes, I think they're like maybe in their 60s. They've been around the park a long time. They've compiled all the data, all the research, and here is the most proven way. What this whole idea is behind my, I'm going to talk about mindfulness, everybody. So just hang on. Uh, what the idea behind, it grabbed my attention when we did a series about seven or eight years ago about anxiety. And the guy who wrote this book, the best-selling book on anxiety, Dr. Judd Brewer, he said the most effective way to deal with anxiety is mindfulness. It's like, oh, shoot, really? So I started studying mindfulness, and that led me to this book. And it is an incredible book, all right? It's not a religious book, but it's a deep-dive scientific book. Now, here's the, you ready for the crazy thing? So the Bible written, right, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, these guys, not a religious book, are talking about the ideas that the Bible introduced to the world and that Jesus made famous. So what you have in here, they're just simply saying, oh yeah, that works, that works. If you know the ideas, they're saying, yes, that works. Okay, so uh, let's, 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 let's get into it. What is mindfulness? I need you to know that I grew up in a church that if somebody said mindfulness, there's gonna be a big problem. You know what I'm saying? Like that's like Eastern, you know, stuff or is that, what is that or... Um, I don't, I don't know about that. Is that new age? So there would be all of those questions, okay? Eastern, I just wonder, this was written in the Middle East, just as an FYI. Um, I want to give you three important things about, about mindfulness, and I want to show you how the Bible has introduced this subject to us, and it is the path to true transformation that Jesus Christ is talking about. Mindfulness, number one, means to pay attention. Okay, uh, we have a culture that's having a hard time paying attention. Jesus Christ prayed a prayer at least twice a day, every single day of his life. Jesus Christ prayed a prayer twice a day, every single day of his life. It's the most famous prayer in all of Judaism. And the first word of it is Shema, which means to pay attention. So Jesus began his day every single day by saying, pay attention. That's mindfulness. 
Second thing, mindfulness is a lot about breathing. Now, that seems really kind of uh, strange to me. You might think it's all cool, but I come from a, a long line of family members, so we're just not good with stuff like that. I had a cousin, went to a birthing class at Fairfax Hospital, okay, and uh, they said get rid of all the chairs, so they have all the couples there, and everybody got down on the floor, okay, and they turned the lights down low, and they turned on the whale music. And then they started breathing and paying attention to your breath, and then paying attention to different parts of your body. He started laughing so hard, he got kicked out of birthing class, right? So I'm just saying, I come from a long line of people, like, this is... This is, this is nuts. Let's talk. Can we say something about breathing real quick? Okay. Uh, the word in Hebrew is ruach. It means breath. So when you read in Genesis chapter 1, second verse of the whole Bible, okay, it says, the breath of God. Really? The breath of God. In Genesis 2, 7, when it's talking about humanity, that God breathes into humanity. What? The breath of life. Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, it says he breathes the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is breath. Jesus breathes the breath of God onto his disciples, and they become new creations. Everybody, that's what we're about. So there's a lot of breathing going on in the Bible. Just about every time that you see the word Holy Spirit in the Bible, it's talking about breath, breath. And I'll say this again at the end, but when you breathe intentionally, it actually prepares your brain to be rewired which is what God wants to do. Finally, mindfulness is about filling your mind with something very, very specific. Now, I'm going to show you something really cool. The Hebrew Bible, by the community that wrote it, your Bible probably isn't this way, but the Hebrew Bible was this way many, many years ago. It is cut into three sections. Torah, first section, Genesis, first five books of the Bible. That's Torah, okay? Then you have the prophets, the first book in the prophets was Joshua. Then you have the writings. And the first book in the writings is Psalms. Okay? So let's go through it. This, this is why they thought this was so important for all of us to rewire our brains to live the life that God wants us to live. Okay? Ready? This is about people who paid no attention, no mind whatsoever to what God said. And they went down the path of fear because the serpent is the peddler of fear. And all of a sudden, they're going down a path of death. Right? Everything got screwed up there. So here's the first book in the prophets. Okay? God is waving a big red flag saying, whoa, 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 watch this. Okay, Joshua 1.8. What does Joshua 1.8 say? Right at the beginning of part number two of the Hebrew Bible. This is what it says, okay? The book of the law, the Torah, the compass shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Ooh, that's a lot of mindfulness. Day and night so that you may be careful to do according that all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That means a transformed life. That means becoming a new beginning. That means overcoming the stuff that is messing my life up. Now, uh, Psalms. Okay, over here, the writings. You know what Psalm chapter 1 is all about? Same thing you just read. It's identical, basically, to what you just read in Joshua chapter 1. It's about transforming our lives through meditation on the word of God. Okay, Shema, pay attention, mindfulness. Jesus prayed that every single day of his life. Meditating on the Bible in the right way will rewire your brain in all of the best ways. Now, we're going to take our time as we go through this series. We're going to unpack each one of these issues like addictions and anxiety and on and on and on it goes. But our first step here today is say we need to make sure we're on the right path. Because the right path is the right soil for my mind to be transformed. And that's what God is trying to do. 
the human animal has a different brain from every other animal out there. God wants to transform our thinking in order to transform our lives and in order to transform our world. Genesis 2-7, God breathed into humanity the breath of life. This is what we're after, okay? This is a love story. It's not a wrath story. I'm gonna show you the next uh, slide here, these two paths, okay? We need to understand something about the path of life and the path of death. The path of life, the soil, the atmosphere is love. See, love transforms us. Love is the thing that we know that will transform our lives. The Bible says that God is love. But I often, if I want to transform my life or if I want to transform your life, I think that this is the path. That's the path of the Pharisees. That is what actually will, you think, oh man, but that's what gets rid of the problem. You know, you talk about wrath and you talk about fear and, you know, willpower and all this kind of stuff like that. Everybody, willpower won't work. We know this. It's like it, you run out, of, run out of, that's why at the end of the day, you eat a bunch of ice cream and cookies because you're out of willpower. You're out, you, you know, this, we, this is a studied fact, right? You're out of willpower. So you're at the end. The best thing you can do is just run for the bed as quick as you can, right? <laughs> You're out of willpower. Willpower does not work. It can get exhausted. But brain power, that is something rewiring of your brain. Now that works. And that is rooted and grounded in love. See, the serpent in the garden, he was peddling this. And that didn't work. The Pharisees, even though they knew the Bible incredibly, they were peddling fear. And God says to be on the right path, the Torah path, the Torah path, you've got to be rooted in love. And now when you're in that soil of love, now your brain can be completely rewired. All right. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible I know if I'm meditating on it while standing on the wrong path. It becomes a misleading map. Now, let's talk about uh, sex if we can for just a minute, okay? I'm not going to go into it next week because I know we have some kids in the room. I'll go a little bit deeper. We are in the loneliest city in the United States of America. And as I said at the beginning of this, it seems like we might be in the most sexually frustrated city in the United States of America as well. Now, play, play this game with me for just a second. Just think with me, okay? What if God wanted to help this city? What would God do? What if God said, you know what? I love these people and I want to help these people. How? Now, now we say how. How is it going to be done? And that's where you get all this noise coming. We'll do this, do this, do this, do this, okay? Or just tell them they're all going to hell, okay? All right. Um, anybody watch the Super Bowl? Anybody? Super Bowl? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, 127 million people in America watch the Super Bowl. That we, sh- we just shattered all kinds of records. It's the most watched event in America since the moon landing. Some people watch it to watch the game. Anybody watch it for the game? Okay, thank you. Some people watch it because they're a part of Swift Nation. Anybody a part of Swift Nation? <laughs> thank you. Okay. And some people watch it for the commercials. Anybody watch it for the commercials? Thank you very much. Okay. Washington Post came out the very next morning after the Super Bowl and said, here's the most controversial, most controversial ad in the Super Bowl. Did anybody catch the article? You know what it was about? Huh? It was a Christian commercial. He gets us. And it was about Jesus washing people's feet. How controversial can that be to wash somebody's feet? My gosh, please wash my feet. There's no controversy there, okay? But it's controversial. And not so much outside the church, inside the church. Oh my gosh. I mean, my email and all just blowing up with people just so upset. I watched one famous minister, okay, on YouTube 
He watched the commercial, and then he gave his comments at the end. And this is, this is what he said, everybody. He said, that's right. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Everybody know Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus? Is that familiar? He said, yep, that's right. Jesus washed Judas' feet, and then he sent him straight to hell. And then he makes his last line. I just thought it was, I, I disagree with it, but it's so good. Uh, I disagree with it, but it's so good. He said, uh, he said there's going to be a lot of people in hell with clean feet. <laughs> Okay, I'm giving you an example that does not work, okay? That's an example of fear. I'm going to motivate you, okay? So like, if you need to change something about your life, or you, we all need to change something about our lives, here's how you do it. Fear, wrath, hell, fire. You need to get yourself some fire insurance, right? So these types of, But what we know is, is that does not work. We know that that's the path of the Pharisees. They peddled in fear, and Jesus specifically told them in Matthew 23, you're going down the wrong path need to turn around. We need to do a little bit of brain work with you instead of shame work. Okay? Because love is what transforms people's life. Now, think with me again. Let's say somebody, last week we talked about our partner, Safe Harbor, the counseling uh, service. Okay? Let's say that somebody that you know needed to go see a therapist because they're struggling with an addiction or anxiety or loneliness or, 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 or whatever, right? Or sexual impulses. So they want to go what is the number one method that will work? The number one method that's going to work, no matter what those things I just named, what is going to work for that person? What is actually going to make a difference, huh? You know what it is? What therapy will the therapist choose to use? You know what? And there's broad agreement on this. Ready? This is fascinating. It's not the therapy, it's the therapist. Broad agreement, by far, the number one way to help somebody change their lives is if that therapist creates a safe environment. If they make a safe space and they cast out fear and they listen in a non-judgmental way. And, 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 and that person that they're talking to, they make sure that they know and that person feels it, that this person is for me, they're not against me not chastising me. They love me. And when that person gets in that safe environment, they begin to open up and it takes a long time, but that's where true transformation happens. Now, everybody, that's what Jesus Christ is trying to do. That's an example of being on the love path, a path that works. The fear path, you're just exchanging one problem for another. I know it sounds great to say, hey, are you better? Our kids, like when our when a kid is born, do you like shake them? And I mean, kids are just so selfish. I mean, they're waking you up at all kinds of times. They're making messes all over the place. They don't care about you. They don't care at all about you. So selfish. I heard somebody say amen over here. So selfish. What do we absolutely know is the best way to create a fully functioning, healthy young person? Love. Love. You start hitting your kids with fear, you're going to screw their lives up. All the data's there, and this is how God loves us. He wants to love us in order to change. So, so look, I'm just, yeah, I'm out of time. All right, let me just read these verses. They're so good. They're so good. First, First John 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love, complete full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love has not grown into sufficient understanding of God's love. Most repeated phrase in the Bible, again, everybody, is fear not. The Bible is trying to 
cast fear out of us. And yet it's the most powerful emotion in your life and in my life. It is number one. You've got to deal with fear. And the compass keeps trying to bring us back, bring us back so that our lives can be transformed, right? So Pastor Derek talked about uh, forgiveness last week. And I was thinking about it all this week. It's a great message. I was thinking about why don't I apologize to my wife? Why don't I seek forgiveness? Why do I pout or sulk or passive aggressive or do all those things? Because deep down inside of me, I'm a fear. I'm drawn to fear. I'm drawn to fear. And I think unless I act in a fear way towards her, some way driven by fear, she won't change. Not that she needs to change, but she, <laughs> she won't. Ch- I got to hold that over her head. And what does every woman in this room know? Fear won't change somebody's life. Love will transform somebody's life. That's the path to true transformation. Pastors love fear. Man, we love it. It's the quick fix. It is the quick fix. It's the drug that we try to use to motivate. I remember being at a Bible study one night, and there was a guy who was raised in a church was all about gear, fear, and shame and all this. And we were talking about love. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me I don't have to be here? Like, I could not be here, and God would still love me? We said, yeah, that's right. He said, now I want to be here. Now I want to be here. Completely different story. All right. Let me read you some other verses and end this thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter of the Bible. Love chapter of the Bible. What does it say? Now remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, like faith and hope is a big deal in the Bible, everybody. But the greatest is what? It's love. Okay. Uh, Jesus speaking says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everybody's going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Not when I'm telling people, hey, you're going to have clean feet, but you're going to go to hell. That is not transformative. Okay. For you, if you're thinking, if you're seeing a wrathful God, you're not headed down a path that's going to set you free. You've got to be in a different type of soil. First John four, seven and eight. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because what? God is love. God is not wrath. God is love. And that's the soil to transformation. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he came to fulfill the law. Check out what Romans 13, 8 says. Whoever loves others has done just what Jesus has done. You have fulfilled the law. Now, here's how I want to end. Uh, we need to rewire our brains this week. I was just thinking about this so much. I, there's so many problems that I face in my life, so many hiccups, so many challenges, and you face in this life. And of course, you've read the studies. You've seen the headlines. We've got so much against us. What is really going to work? Let's just cut through all the noise for a second. What's really going to work? Where you start is in your heart. Where you start is in your heart. And your heart in the Bible is your brain. It is your brain. So let's rewire our brains this week. And I'm going to lead you through just a very short process to rewiring your brain. So number one, I want you to know is three minutes a day. Can you find three minutes, some point in your day to rewire your brain? Can you find just three minutes to lock yourself away and to rewire your brain? Number two. Number two is you got to breathe. Let's say it again. Here's what we know. There's a lot of breathing in the Bible from start to finish, a lot of breathing. And here's what science tells us why God's word is so magnificent, right? Because when you breathe and you're paying attention and you're breathing slowly, it actually prepares your brain to be rewired. Oh my gosh, you serious? So if I want my mind to be like Paul says, to be transformed, then I need to stop and ruach. I need to stop and breathe and pay attention. 
the average American spends 47% of their waking hours not paying any attention to what they're doing. You ever read in, in, in a book or an email and you're like, you read a whole page or whatever and you're like, you have no idea what you just read? Have you ever gotten home at night and you're like, how'd I get here? <laughs> I don't. I don't, have a, I don't have a car. I sold my car and I ride a bike and I, I ride here every day and I get on the bike path the exact same way. It's off a road I, and I, I get on this bike path. But a couple of times this week, I drove Krista's car and I got to the same place. I turned on the signal as if I was going to pull the car on the path. I was paying no attention to what I was doing. I was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Pay attention. Like you're doing this sermon this week. Pay attention to what you're doing. And then the next day I did the exact same thing. So we spend 47% of our time not paying any attention. We America, the society we have created a distracted society mindfulness is paying attention to what you're doing pay attention so you breathe and you pay attention to what you're doing and the final is this here's number three here's what brings it all together mindfulness is what you fill your mind with so everybody here's here's how you rewire your minds here's how you prepare to fulfill what the scripture is actually talking about at the root of everything okay you stop three minutes and you slowly breathe Preparing your mind to be rewired by the word of God. And then you say, and the cadence is almost perfect because you breathe in and as you slowly breathe out, nothing can separate me from the love of God. It's a scripture verse. It's from Romans 8. I'd like you to try it with me. I'd like you to try it this week. Can we try it right now just to practice it on for size a couple of times? So you breathe in very slowly. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Let's try it again. We breathe in. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And we might feel goofy and weird and all the breathing. Just remember what the science tells us and what the word of God tells us. You're preparing your mind. Be totally transformed. Now, everybody, there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives. We know that. We know that. I just want to say our prayer team is going to be over here just to, just to pray. Just to pray with you, whoever wants prayer. And I would encourage you, we're gonna, next week, we're going to build on this foundation of the soil of the love of God. And we're going to take it to the next level of how God wants to transform our life so that you can live the life that you want to live and that you can live the life that God created you to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much for your word. So powerful, so awesome, so wonderful, and so proven to be true. Help us this week, God, to, to cut out those three minutes and to fill our minds with your powerful and proven word of truth. Bless every single person here in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.